Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to Have a Little Insight, the podcast where we share people's personal stories, lived experience, and expertise in the hopes of generating a more understanding, kind, and compassionate world. This week, we are conquering the topic of anxiety, a term that is rampant in our world today. And we sat down to talk to Michelle Neal in the first part of this series. Michelle is a filmmaker, writer, director out of Toronto, formerly from Vancouver, BC. And she sat down and talked to us about her battles with anxiety, her experience with panic attacks, and how she's learned to cope and take care of herself through all of this and still excel in her career today. So with that, here's Michelle. All right, everybody. So we are here with Michelle Neal, and she is our first guest for our episode on anxiety. So do you want to start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and maybe what you do? For sure. Uh, so I used to get really thrown by this press by this question, speaking of anxiety and depression and all that. People would be like, what do you do? And I'm like, I don't know. So I now have a kind of a canned answer. Um, I am a writer, director, author with a background in acting. So that is my usual uh, statement. And I I mean, I could go into a bit of depth on it. Most of my work revolves around mental health. And then in the last couple of years, I've broadened into um, death. I usually take a hot topic and I add magical realism or fantasy to that, to explore it with a surrealist lens. And uh, I do that through my books with it, I like writing books because I don't have to worry about budget. And then I do it in film and uh, I write to whatever budget I'm given. But that's why I started writing books was because I just I get to go wherever I want. I don't have to worry. Cool. That's very cool. Um, so I guess because we already touched on it a little bit. Um, anxiety. I mean, I think I think we talk about it a lot in today's world, and it's it feels like every uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry has anxiety, or like Jane, Jill, some other girl with Jay, Jenny. But <laughs> um, it seems like anxiety is becoming like rampant in our society, and that was one of the reasons um, you actually reached out to us. Which thank you very much. So um, maybe we can just dive a little bit into the hard stuff. Um, what is, I'm curious because I think it manifests different for everybody. Like with my anxiety to start with myself, I have a real fight or flight response that kicks in and the more anxious I get, the more my flight response kicks in. And I guess the description of anxiety is that your response to the situation is, um, like your flight response is not as necessary as the situation is mandating, I guess the best way I can describe it. So for me, I got to go. I got to run. I got to leave. And if I remove myself, I feel better. So I guess with that, what does anxiety feel like for you? Uh, for me, Mish? No, yeah. Not Ryan. Okay. No, no for you, <laughs> Mish. Yes. Um, what does it feel like? Well, it depends on the level. So back when I was having full-on panic attacks, I mean, my first panic attack, I thought I was going to die. And I was on a, I was on a, the ferry between Victoria and Vancouver. And, um, I'd gone into the washroom, like I was in a stall and I thought that I was having a heart attack and that I was just going to die. 
Um, and I thought, oh, I, I didn't picture myself dying in a bathroom on the ferry. Like, <laughs> that was such a weird moment. And the panic of thinking I was going to die build upon it, built upon itself. And then it just uh, compounded. And then um, so I guess when it's really severe, it feels like a heart attack. Um, but there's also an aspect about it where my my chest becomes really restricted. But also it feels like the middle of my chest is missing and then my skin feels uncomfortable and I can't breathe, um, and I start to hyperventilate, and I usually f- end up on the floor because I also can't, like, physically move, and it often it would become, because I haven't had a full-on panic attack this bad for many years, which I'm very grateful for, um, but back when they were that bad, um, yeah, it just got so uncomfortable that I would just end up on the floor <laughs> until I could finally breathe and then everything would would calm down and I have heard it said that they don't last very long they maybe last a minute or two or three um but whenever I was in the middle of a panic attack it always felt like it was forever and I always feared that it would never end that was the worst part too like death was almost would almost be a welcome thing because it would have ended the experience which was so uncomfortable Yeah, I think that's, that's a lot what it feels like for me. Like, I don't think when you describe it like that, I haven't had a panic attack to that point where I end up on the ground. But that, that feeling that it's going to go on forever, that it's never going to end, that there's no, um, like no coming back down or no way to imagine bringing it back down to like a feeling of like somewhat normalcy. I don't know what your experience is, but for me, it just almost feeds the anxiety more. It's like I'm already having an anxiety attack. I'm already having a panic attack. But now I'm having increased anxiety because I'm having anxiety because I can't get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Get anxious about the anxiety, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I've there's one time I remember that and I think this is the worst that it's been for me, not to that extent, maybe the same severity that you experienced, but... I almost felt like my whole body was like, had like this big hot flash, kind of like my whole body got really, really hot. And I remember I just stood up and I started pacing around. I was like, okay, okay, okay. Like what, what's going on? You know, it was, it kind of like, it got so worried to the point that I scared myself. And then I couldn't like, I was trying to talk myself out of it, but it was hard. And it felt like it went on for a while, but it realistically was probably only a couple minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that first one happened to me. Um, I had fainted due to stress and exhaustion, which I didn't believe in until it happened to me. Um, I always thought that was something people said about famous people when they really had a problem with drugs or something, but it's it can actually happen. Um, so I did not realize that I also, because uh, I was standing on a bus, and then the next thing I know, I was on the ground, and I had hit my head, and I had a concussion. And then, um, so that sort of all of the stuff that led up to fainting due to stress and exhaustion is also all of the stuff that fed into, um, when I had this concussion, I remember I kept trying to do two plus two is, and then my brain couldn't answer. I knew that I should know the answer. And so, but every time I got to the point where I, where normally my answer would fill in the number four, 
there was just no fill in. And that was freaking me out. And it was because of the concussion. And then all of that, like both of you have talked about, fed upon itself. And then I had the panic attack. And then in my life, I became afraid of panic attacks, which led to more panic attacks, um, <laughs> which is an awful side effect of uh, these this like condition. Yeah, it definitely can ramp up on you very quickly. Um, I'm curious if you think back to like earlier Mish who had like before you realized maybe even like, oh, this is a panic attack and you still thought you were having a heart attack. I find personally, and I'm curious if you do, that did do you have an awareness like early stages before you like maybe even knew you had an anxiety like or a situation with anxiety? Did you even see warning signs that, oh, maybe I have an anxiety or did you just all of a sudden have a panic attack? Uh, I've always been excitable and anxious and all of those things. Um, and just what you talked about, yeah, hindsight, like looking back upon it, I was sitting there going, oh, it's obvious that there were these warning signs that I was just, I was completely disregarding, um, any warning sign from my, from my body that I was anxious or tired or stressed or all of those things. And I was just pushing myself because, uh, that's how I'd learned. I'd learned you just, um, you know, you just, you just do it. I mean, I'm a, I'm a musical theater kid and it doesn't matter if you're throwing up, you throw up off stage and then you go on stage and you tits and teeth the whole time. And then you go off the other side and you throw up in the, you know, on that side and in the trash and then you go back on and like, it's just never, it just didn't occur to me to not continue to push myself. And that is one of the things over the years that I have learned is how to um, recognize those early warning signs and to really, really double down on self-care. Um, there's a saying that's something like, if you don't have five minutes to meditate, you should meditate for three hours. And uh, I used to not understand that. But now my understanding is basically when you need meditation the most is when your life is the most stressed. So I also have like a daily meditation practice that I just, I do it in the mornings. It's the first thing I do. It's a, it's an attempt to, you know, center myself and start the day off that way. But when I start to put that aside, because I don't have time for my five minute to 10 minute meditation, that's when I need it most. And that's one of those warning signs for me. So it's, it's a warning sign in itself that you don't even take those five minutes. That yeah. like there's something that's triggering you to kind of just like jump out of bed and start your day. Kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Or like today, I, I mean, I'm, I'm busy right now. And so today I almost didn't go from, I try to go for a walk, uh, just to, in the middle of the day to kind of, you know, refresh. And I, I almost didn't go for my walk. And then I was like, what is the, the walk is super, super important. It's part of, it's part of my mental health, um, path. And so I went for the walk and I came back and I just felt so much better. Um, but without being able to catch those early warning signs, especially back in the day, of course, it it builds upon itself. And then eventually, you know, you you look back and you're like, oh, I can I can't believe I'm here. But I can because I can see all the ways that I chipped away at my mental health practice or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So you had mentioned that it was a while back that you've, since you've had your last panic attack, right? So you, 
haven't had Uh-oh. one like. <laughs> yeah, I should amend that statement because I still, I still wake up sometimes in the grips of a panic attack. It's usually, you know, that um, cliche 3 a.m. moment of waking up and being like, oh, right. Um, but what I've learned through, so this still happens to me. I think last week I had a tough week of waking up in the grips of that feeling. Um, but what I've learned through cognitive behavioral therapy is how to recognize that it's a physical sensation and not necessarily allow it to build upon itself in the same way. So there's certain things I'll do, like I'll, I'll try to sense it in my body. Like, where do I feel it? Um, is it moving? Is it hot? Is it cold? And just by focusing on the sensation, I'm no longer looping on, am I going to die? What's happening? Oh my God, what set me off? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so as long as I can keep it in focused on the body sensation, I can kind of stop that compounding aspect and I can usually bring myself back down a little bit. I don't always bring myself back down enough to go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least I'm not having the worst few minutes of my life. Right. So often in times I know with anxiety, like they've spoken to me about it personally so many times that there are, you know, triggers, but obviously if you're waking up in the middle of the night, do you like, have you ever figured out or do you have any idea why that happens or what's, what's causing that? Uh, absolutely. I know one of the first things for myself to do is to cut way back on caffeine Um, there's just something about caffeine, especially later in the day that if I'm, and also, um, really double down again on those, uh, relaxation techniques, because for me, it's, if I'm really stressed during the day and then I go to bed, I wake up and I don't, sometimes I remember, and it's like a really stressful dream, but I don't always remember the dream. I just wake up with the sensation. So I'm assuming that what I'm not doing is I'm not cleansing the palate before going to bed. So I have... I have certain meditations I listen to as I get ready for sleep or whatever. Um, but yeah, definitely the triggers for me can be caffeine, alcohol. Um, I have yet to really reduce, like consciously reduce sugar. Over the years, I've been trying to reduce sugar in general. Uh, but that's probably also a trigger for me. Um, but yeah, those are the main ones. And then just to get really, really, <laughs> I don't know if I said this while we were recording or not, but it's boring things. Like I get really regular about my sleep routine. I try to go to bed at the same time every night. I try to wake up at the same time every morning. It's, it's so, uh, I try to exercise. Like it's like all the things that are, I think we hear about all the time are the things that I, that work for me. Are there any emotional triggers to your anxiety that you've caught that aren't related to like physical, like, like you mentioned caffeine and sugar and stuff like that. Those are things that, well, we can say they're easy to change, but anybody who loves their coffee knows that it's not. But, um, are there emotional triggers or situational triggers that you've ever experienced? Yeah. You know, what's so funny is I didn't even mention them because I feel like they're so obvious, but that's not obvious. Um, there are so many, uh, it's, it's interesting that I work in film and TV because one of the jobs of, of a television director, especially is to step into the unknown over and over again. And yet that is one of the scariest things for me. It's like being the, it's like the first day of school where all the kids have been going to that same 
class for months and then you come and everyone's like, who are you? Um, that's kind of how it feels to be a, a TV director because the crew and cast know each other. Usually, they, unless you're doing the pilot, um, they know each other. And so you just come in and and that is super scary for me. And yet I'm I'm that's what I that's what I aspire to do constantly is to be a TV director. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if it's um, I've never really unpacked like why, except how great it feels when it goes well. I guess that's probably why I keep going back. Um, yeah. And then there's there's certain situations. I mean, uh, any sort of conflict can have me not sleeping well for days. Um, especially with conflict with, uh, emotionally charged people in my life. Um, but a lot of it, I would say over the years, just with the constant, uh, well, I did a, a ton of therapy many, many years ago. Nowadays it's more just, um, maintenance. So with the amount of maintenance I do again, it's, I start to recognize things sooner and sooner. So if there is a person that I know can be difficult for me, I have techniques um, that I'll do. And then usually talking to them goes a lot better and I can sleep. Do you find it's just because does your mind just try to come up with um, like like a worst case scenario or like about it going badly? Yeah, um, I have a mantra that I don't know where it came from. But it's definitely not, I did not come up with this, but it's um, um, progress versus perfection. Because I don't know about the two of you, but when I feel anxious, my brain thinks that one of the solutions is to be perfect. So it's totally that thing, Ryan, that you just talked about, where my brain will try to think of every possible way that this could go wrong, every way that I may have messed up or I should have done better or whatever. Um, and so I just try to say it's progress, not perfection. And I know what I'm going to work on moving forward and nobody's perfect. And even if I was, I would probably still get anxious because just that's who I am. You know, <laughs> um, I think it's Brene Brown who talks about treating yourself like a puppy and that really works for me. <laughs> I like like, I like to think of when I'm in those moments, like, oh, I'm that scared puppy. And so I'm going to be gentle and really try to, you know, talk gently to myself. And because that's also a thing that come that can compound with the anxiety is the mean talk about like, once I start down that road, it's kind of easy to just spiral. And it's because I'm pretty good at thinking of all the ways that I've messed up or even inventing new situations where I could mess up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm curious. So you, when you talk about the panic attack that you had on the ferry, would you say that was kind of like a pinnacle moment for you in your like mental health journey? So yeah. from that moment of being on the ferry and thinking you're going to die and collapsing, and now it sounds like you're in a much better place in terms of your mental health. What was the, like, what were the stepping stones first, I guess, in that critical situation, but then the journey from there to here? 
like what was that journey or yeah like like yeah. where where do you even where like everybody has a different journey obviously but I'm curious where you started from where you went from that point on the ferry like what were the next steps for you there um well the immediate next step was I went to the doctor's office because I knew I'd hit my head and so I I rode the bus to Vancouver and then went and waited for two hours at a walk-in clinic and then um the doctor finally was able to see me and said, oh, uh, you, you fainted and hit your head. You have a concussion. And then was asking me a bunch of questions. And then the question came, um, how's everything going in your life? And I just burst into tears. And then the doctor was like, OK, OK, I see where it is. Um, so I've heard it said that most people don't change until it becomes bad enough. So there's the term rock bottom. So I would say as far as my mental health journey is concerned, that those panic attacks and then being afraid of them and like living in fear, that was my mental health journey, rock bottom. Um, I definitely realized that I needed to start to take all of it way more seriously because it was debilitating for a little while. And so over the years, um, yeah, I've just really learned to, to grow that sense of just what we were, we've been talking about of recognizing earlier signals. So it won't get to that point again. Um, so I actually like to think I'm a way more effective person in the world because I've also learned very clear personal boundaries and I don't just say yes to everything all the time anymore. And I try to be as upfront as possible with people because the sooner we can figure out whether or not we want to move forward in whatever capacity, like working on something together or whatever, the better for everyone. And so I think it's, it maybe doesn't sound like it's connected, but for me being clear with intentions and being clear with myself and then sharing that clarity with everybody around me has been really beneficial in my mental health journey. Um, yeah. <laughs> and do you find since you've been doing that, that a lot of people, and I'm just speaking because that's something for me, like if I express how, like how I'm feeling or what's going on, I feel like people aren't going to understand. So maybe I just don't tell the whole story. Right. But do you find that people are for the most part understanding? Uh, it depends. Well, it depends. I mean, I think it's smart of all of us to choose our moments with what we share and how we share it. If I'm interviewing to be a director, um, I'm not going to be like, hey, I might not sleep well, uh, but don't worry, <laughs> I will for sure show up. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. they don't need to know what I go through. They just need to know that I'm, I am dependable. I would say probably the years of therapy and working on myself have made me a more dependable human than a lot of others. Um, but actually part of the reason I reached out to Jenny, uh, was I just gone through a writing workshop and I was talking about that very fear about if I share about this, are people going to, what are people going to think about me? And then basically the feedback I got was if, if there, if you were in that space, that's really hard space and you saw someone like you sharing or any one of us sharing about what they've been through. And this is why I love your podcast, by the way, because you guys are creating this space for people to go to and be like, oh, I'm not alone. Because that's another lie that we tell ourselves is like, I'm the only one 
and people will think I'm awful or weird and they might, <laughs> that's fair. They're allowed to think whatever they, whatever they want. I guess that's another thing I've come to realize over the years is I no longer like, I think when I can just show up and be authentic, um, I used to think that if people didn't like me when I was being authentic, that it would hurt more, but it actually hurts way less. Cause I'm just like, that's cool. Mm. Moving on. Like you are totally entitled to your opinion. Um, so it's made me feel braver. And then, and then coming here and sharing about the journey is also to just hopefully make it less scary for people to talk about in their lives. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. And, uh, no, it's, it's great that you wanted to come on and to share your story and we, yeah, we want to create some space for people to feel like you're not alone because that's a lot of what goes on is you, you know, feel like you're kind of fighting this battle internally by yourself. And a lot of people may not see it, but a lot of, obviously a lot of people deal with it. And, you know, if you look at the stats on anxiety, like it's in the millions. So, yeah. Yeah. I just did a week, uh, once a week workshop, um, mental health for artists. I cannot remember who put it on, but it was awesome. And, um, JP was our counselor and one thing he said was anxiety and social anxiety is one of the uh, highest disorders that we all have. And yet, if you show up at a party, you just assume you're the only one feeling awkward. Like there's this assumption that, mm. oh, everyone else seems so carefree. Meanwhile, probably 90% of us are all standing there going, who do I talk to? How do I hold my drink? Oh, no. Am I am I <laughs> like, why did I wear this? What's going on? Oh, now. Oh, I guess I should. Oh, no. OK. You know. <laughs> supposed to basically that's my brain oh <laughs> do you like the old like you try to lean back on the table and then fall <laughs> oh my gosh yes I have learned that I have learned to accept that I'm a klutz and as such I make sure that like there's a clear path to my water and it's it's you know it's off to the side of the computer so my hand won't go near it if I try to get to the computer like there's so there's so many things I do now to to because I've just accepted that I'm a klutz and I'm I'm going to I'm going to knock stuff over if it's possible. So I just like, you know, take that into account. <laughs> you know how to work around it. <laughs> yeah. 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 See the danger before it happens. <laughs> right. Yeah. Proactive, proactive yeah. cup placement. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned uh, doing meditation practices mostly in the morning and then that you have a mantra that you use, but is there anything else um, like practice wise or ways that you you that ways things that you do to try to cope or manage with anxiety kind of like, I guess, moment to moment or when it starts to creep up and become more severe? Uh, for me, one of the things that really helps is to be productive. But that's also a double edged sword, because that also means that sometimes I'll take on too much. Uh, so it's something I have to be very aware of. Um, but I used to write in a journal every morning. I don't know if either I know Jenny, you've probably heard of it, the art the artist's way. Yeah. Where you have the morning pages. Yeah. yeah. I, I used to do that every morning. And then what I found was I swapped that out for creating um like writing uh fiction every morning. And then I did that every day for over five years. <laughs> Just over five years. I think it was like a few days after over five years in a row. Um, and then I took a couple days off. And what I found was uh, 
I start to feel anxious if I'm not creating. And so I very much love that time now. So yeah, so usually my morning starts with I'll feed the cats, I'll make myself a tea, and then I'll meditate and then I'll grab my tea and I'll go write content and I'll create for the first part of my day. And then I'll go into my jobs. And that is a really good routine for me. But I also recognize that that means that I need input. And so I've started to structure my time where watching films and TV is actually, I see it as like input because a lot of creative work is output. And so that for me is a balance as well that I'll do. Um, and if I ever need to, I will rely on journaling. I will just go and there's something about the act of getting it out on the page. I can just kind of also, um, I have when I am writing uh, creative content or working on creative stuff, um, every so often those thoughts will creep up. And so I'll open a whole new document and I call it the committee of assholes and I'll just write out what the committee of assholes mm. are saying. Like, why are you even trying? You're not good enough. This is never going to amount to anything. And just putting them on the page. And then I'm like, cool, thanks for your input. I'm still going to do my thing. And then I close the document and I usually delete it. And there's something about that too, that kind of takes the power away. That's really interesting. First of all, I love the name. Second of all, it's really interesting because I think a couple of months ago, my therapist said to me, he's like, Jenny, you make appointments with your friends. You decide when you want to take their call. You know, you turn off your phone, you turn off your computer, you turn off your TV. And I don't think this is great advice for when your anxiety is getting to that critical point of a panic attack. But for everyday anxiety or worry, he's like, make an appointment. Make an appointment with your anxiety. Okay, anxiety, you get 20 minutes. Here you go. Worry, 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 negative thought, panic. Like if I'm at home and I have anxiety also, it's very different than if I'm in public. If I'm in a public place, I got to go. But if I'm at home, it can kind of just manifest and I can let it go where it wants, right? But he, that I found that really interesting. Make an appointment or like allow time to worry and then be like, okay, your time's up. It kind of sounds like the same thing as what you do. You're like, okay, tell me everything you want to say, assholes, and then yeah. I'm going to delete you and bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. I've also, just what you were talking about, um, I've also in the past set a timer and my timer is a countdown of about three minutes and it usually only lasts about 30 seconds, but I'm like, I'm just going to feel awful for the next three minutes, like move, go into the, because it's just what you were talking about. So often we try to move away or suppress those feelings. Um, mm. and, and so sometimes I'll like do the opposite where I'll go into it and just be like, what is going on? And then I'll just sit there and usually it's about 30 seconds and it just goes away and then I'm fine. So I, I don't really understand why. Um, there is a meditation practice that I do listen to where she, uh, has you check in with yourself and then listen to what the fear wants to say or listen to what that stress like in your shoulder wants to say or what does your that pain in your stomach what is it trying to tell you and that one I'll sometimes go to um if I'm having a hard time clearing stuff because often it's just it's just like 
<laughs> I'm scared or I'm sad or whatever. Um, and then it's kind of nice to acknowledge it and then you can move on. <laughs> yeah, usually. We, we spend so much time fighting our feelings. It's, yeah. It's insane. And it's like, it's that whole like cliche, right? Like what you resist persists. It's like, you know, like. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> it's just, it's just crazy. Yeah. But. But. It is what you said, Jenny, that it's, that is not, that is for like the daily practice. That is not like when we're in the panic mode, that's where it's for me. I think of it as all hands on deck. We're just going to, we're just going to live through the next 30 seconds. We're just going to live through this. We're just going to breathe like anything you can kind of focus on in that, in that, in those extreme moments of panic is valid. Like anything that will help you get through. These are more for the daily moments. Yeah, when it's really acute, that uh, that stuff doesn't work for me either. No. Even 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 <laughs> when it's really acute, I mean, unless I preventatively take medication like a benzodiazepine, unless I take that like forty five minutes before a situation that I know is going to be triggering, even the medication won't work. Yeah, and I can take more than one, and it's like all that happens is at the end I have the emotional exhaustion, and then I have the effects of the medication, and it's just like bye bye Jenny for like the next seven hours because like I'm in bed. All right, you know, like um, when it's really really acute like that, it is. It's kind of it's like a ship in the sea. You just hold on and hope that like you don't go overboard. Yeah, yeah. At that ship in the sea metaphor, um, I made a. I had the great privilege of getting a grant and being a part of an incredible team that made a short film called Mental. And that was part of what we were trying to uh, like bring up for the audience is that sense of uh, being in the middle of a, a mental health crisis, not having anyone to turn to, not understanding what's going on, not feeling heard or understood or even understanding yourself and that feeling of being tossed at sea. Um, and a few people have over the years told me or members of our team, like, you got it. That's exactly how it feels. And I feel so proud of that piece for that reason. Um, and even people, someone after one of the screenings, someone came up to me and said, he finally understands his sister. And I was like, oh, uh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the hard parts too, is just trying to like explain to people like how you're feeling, you know, and, um, no, even, even for me, like I try sometimes to just like allow whatever is happening to happen. And sometimes it goes on a little longer. Sometimes I'm okay in a short term, but yeah, trying to just resist it and push it away and like distract yourself from it just can make it worse. But, um, I want to be like a little bit conscious of time yeah. <laughs> and uh, just to wrap up with you, I wanted to ask like, is there any last little bit of insight or like advice that you would give to anybody that could be listening that may be dealing with anxiety and is having trouble? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> I think one of, one of the main things and my personal takeaway is that our mental health journey will look unique to us. And the time to be proactive is not when you're in the middle of a crisis, 
But when you're out of that crisis, if you can start like what has worked for me, <laughs> I hate when people are like, you should. Blah, blah, blah. So I'll just say what's worked yeah. for me is in the times outside of the crisis to implement um, structure in my life, like that morning meditation, like going for a walk at lunch, these things that really work for me. Uh, cause when the, when one of the ways that anxiety happens for me is it will feel trapped in my body. That's why the walk really helps. Um, because I just feel like I'm like moving my, cause a lot of my work from home, I'm just at home at a computer. So when I'm moving my body that can help move it through me, um, and then also to treat as much as you can, cause this can be hard, but treat yourself like your best friend or a hurt puppy. And so, cause there have been times where I have personally felt like a failure because I'm like this again, like, shouldn't I be past this? I've been doing it for years. And so the answer to that for me is yes, this is also a part of you and you are human, which means you are not perfect. So here we are, you know, and I like as much as possible, I just picture myself as maybe my inner child or that I'm a puppy or that I'm my best friend. I have this beautiful best friend. I love to picture her. She has like <laughs> dirty blonde hair. So she kind of looks like an angel in my brain. And anyway, I've known her since we were kids and I, I would never speak to her the way I would speak to myself. So sometimes I'll picture her and I'll just think of how I would talk to her if she was feeling that way and talk to myself in that way. I feel like that was a little bit long-winded. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Perfect. Um, <laughs> I am curious, and for other people who are interested, first of all, your short film, Mental, if anybody wanted to watch it, where would they find it? Uh, I have a Vimeo channel that has a few things on it, and Mental is one of them. Um, but there's also a bunch of my shorts are on Encore Plus Encore Plus's YouTube channel. Um, so people can go there. Um, or if they go to my website, um, I think there's ways to find it there. I like to think that it's super easy to find my work, but I, but it, I don't actually know if it is because I have anxiety about talking about my work too much, which is <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, nobody wants to know. And then people write me and they're like, you've written three books. And I'm like, yeah, huh? <laughs> moving on. <laughs> So in terms of, so if people want to find you, your website's the best spot if people are curious about your work or, so what is your, what's your website? Thank you for keeping me on track. <laughs> no uh, worries. It's just, it's uh, www. and then my name, which is spelled weird. So Michelle Neal, so M-E-E-S-H-E-L-L-E-N-E-A-L.com. Awesome. Thank you. And we will have it in the show notes for people who are listening as well. So cool. yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so, well, thank you so much. I mean, it's not easy, I think, for any of us to come on and talk about stuff like this. It's very personal and it involves opening up. And this, you, you guys, I mean, I was obviously, I, I was, I had a little bit of anxiety to be <laughs> truthful to about, about sharing. Anxiety. Yeah. I was like, Oh, but you guys are just so lovely, both of you. And, uh, and so this was really wonderful. Thank you. Well, we, we appreciate you and for taking the time out 
That was Michelle Neal, everybody. Thank you so much, Michelle. And thank you to anybody who is listening right now. This is part one of a two-part series we are doing here at Have a Little Insight on Anxiety. I hope this was helpful and helped you maybe recognize your own anxiety or somebody else in your life who might be struggling. With that, if you are experiencing a mental health crisis, we strongly encourage you to reach out to a loved one or your family doctor Or if need be, you can contact the Ottawa Crisis Hotline at 613-722-6914 or 1-866-996-0991. You can also check out the show notes to this episode. We'll leave those numbers for you there, as well as some other links and resources for you. Make sure to tune into part two of this series where we talk to Ali Dignard about her personal experience with anxiety and panic attack. There are some very interesting correlations and similarities, as well as that differentiation in how anxiety is different for all of us and a mental health journey is really personal. Please share this with someone you think might benefit from it. And you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts and you can find us on Instagram. We are at Hallie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and take care of yourselves, everybody. Bye.